0: But I'm just further crippling myself if I don't move, as I've learned, right? So yeah, I'm just I'm so much more active, and um, it's pretty it's pretty great.
1: This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet, and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Today we're going to learn from Nicholas on how he went from crippling rheumatoid arthritis to be able to come off two significant doses of significant drugs and now to be managing his condition in a really, really good way on only methotrexate and using lifestyle changes after being completely uncontrolled on three drugs. So, Nicholas, thanks for joining us all the way from Illinois, United States. Yeah, thanks for having me, Clint. I'm excited to hear this story. Let's start with a uh, what you were at your worst to how you're living your life at the moment, and we're talking not that far apart. These two examples here, we're talking only like less than twelve months, right? So how how are things shaping up with that sort of before and after
0: yeah sure so uh my worst wasn't actually prior to diagnosis um my worst was back in september and october of this uh past year after a cold and after uh, a flu shot my um, immune response went crazy and ra started coming back uh, like a big monster that it can be and um i i was anxious for my future um, constantly distracted by the pain and the fear of losing all of my hobbies, uh, my my career as a nurse, and because of the fear and anxiety, I, uh, I, and and the pain. Sorry, uh, I wasn't the father I wanted to be. I wasn't the husband I wanted to be. And as much as I move, uh, I'm a person with ADD. I don't sit still long. You know, having an ankle that can swell up to three times its normal size in a single night or uh, a shoulder where I can barely reach across my body to put on a seatbelt, my life had changed fundamentally. And and yeah, I just, I needed something uh, to improve. So, And so what did you do next? Uh, well, I went and saw my rheumatologist and I was told I would be put on a fourth med, uh, a biologic uh, Humira. And after looking up the uh, side effects, I wasn't Terribly interested in doing that. And I went on a family trip the weekend after seeing my rheumatologist uh, to my dad's house. He lives about two hours away. And during the drive there, I listened to your podcast for the first time and was pretty intrigued. I I randomly picked uh, one of the podcasts, you know, from, I don't know, 2018 or something. And so I brought up the idea of a plant based diet and how that might be able to help, uh, talking with my father and my wife during that weekend. Uh, and my wife was on board. We'd lived a pescatarian life previously, and my dad had actually done a whole, whole food plant-based diet the year before, uh, to lower his cholesterol. And he had had phenomenal, um, bodily reaction, you know, his cholesterol dropped tremendously. He felt amazing. He lost a bunch of weight. And so I, I was pretty strong on the idea of trying it. On the way home, I listened to your podcast and specifically your story, along with a few other um, of your podcasts, and I was completely sold. So the last uh, animal product that I had was the morning uh, before driving home. That was November 20th of 2023. I had some eggs with my breakfast. Um, And that night, I just had a salad, uh, and then I fasted for the first two days of the diet. Um, I'd done intermittent fasting over the past four years, so it wasn't anything crazy for me to try a fast. But yeah. And so November 21st was the day I officially started the Patison program. Uh, which if you guys are keeping track, that's four days before America's um Thanksgiving, which is (laughs) a big deal in our family. We have 50 plus people come over.
1: Wow, that's huge. 50 at the house.
0: It's it's our big celebration in our family. Um And we have just a smorgasbord of food every year. Uh, and while everybody else was just piling their plate and digging in, uh, I I had a large serving bowl and ate my salad and grains. And, uh, but honestly, I, I, that was day four and, and day four, 96 hours into the Patterson program, I had zero pain. I had no swelling and no stiffness and for it to be that night and day. Um, because the previous weekend I was already struggling with some stiffness and some swelling and pain. But yeah, for, for those four days for it that quickly to melt away, I knew that we were on the right track and reading through all the material you provided really, you know, sent me up to know that it was the right track. I just didn't know it could be that fast. I was off of methotrexate, uh, day five since day four, I was without pain. I said, why am I taking this? Hang on, uh, methotrexate or maloxicin? Right, sorry, skin. Maloxic. Yeah. Wrong, wrong M medicine. But then I tapered my prednisone from 20 milligrams a day and it took 10 days, but tapered off of prednisone and I haven't had to take it daily since, you know, so I've used it PRN a couple times, but the night and day between, you know, November 18th, when I was told to go on Humira and probably December 1st or so when I was wrestling with my kids on the floor, which I hadn't done in six months, uh, it was pretty fantastic. That really is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, What do you
1: think in your diet was probably contributing the most to symptoms? Because there's two things going on when you start eating the way that we do inside the Patterson program. One is that we're eliminating a whole bunch of foods. So you're down to a very small set. So any food triggers have been removed. And number two, it's it's very rich in antioxidants and microbiome-friendly fibers. However, your results were exceptional. And so it makes me think that there might have been a lot of oil in your diet or lots of cheese. Um, is there anything that comes to mind?
0: Uh, pretty much everything that we cut out. Uh, <laughs> I, I was definitely eating a lot of cheese. <laughs> right. Um, cottage cheese is just one of my favorites uh, and so I was eating a bunch of that um I was eating all sorts of oils you know I had a lot of peanut oil a lot of uh, canola olive oil uh, etc all of those in there um, and cooked everything in olive oil all the time or canola oil and then also I had a lot of sugar in my diet my my kids are candy fanatics just like I am uh, or I was I should say um and so we you know together as a as a group we you know eat a family pack of candy over a couple of days but honestly i think maybe one of the biggest triggers uh was how much acid was in my diet and and i don't say that on reflection of uh, everything i cut out so much as how much my body craved acid during the 10 days you know that that little bite in what you eat and and that little flavor i was uh, i feel like i was alerted to just how acid heavy our diet here in the West is. Yeah, because my body was just screaming for flavor and it just wanted more. Um, And that might be one of the coolest side effects of the Patterson program I've noticed so far. I, I feel like my taste buds have realigned now that I've taken so much out, right? And just an orange, or not an orange, sorry, a lemon. Tastes like candy. I mean, it's it's not super sweet because obviously that's just not the fruit, but you do taste the sweetness now and I, and I enjoy the sourness from it. Um, but f- flavor has just a whole new palette to me because of everything I cut out and the time I spent away from uh, such heavily sugared items, you know.
1: Yeah, uh, that just comes up all the time. Uh, the number of times I've heard people say, oh my God, I ate a like watermelon or, oh, my gosh, I just ate a peach and the flavors just blew my mind, you know? Yeah. Whereas for those of us, or well, for those outside of this, you know, community, if you like, who eat those regularly, they're just eating it and they're just not even thinking about it because, A, it's not as sweet as the very next thing that they eat for in their candy bar and, B, it's just not valued at all because it's, you know, you just got everything at your fingertips at all times. And uh, we're eating mindlessly, I, I think, a lot of the time. So that's really exciting. So based on the before and after of your foods, we kind of have a proportional before and after of your symptoms.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's nice. It's neat and, t- and nice to look at. And I, I'm really glad I asked the question about what you were eating before because you confirmed all of my suspicions with all of that oil-rich and processed rich food. So, first of all, you've saved yourself a future of other diseases right. um, by doing that. So, what about um, what about now? Uh, what what do you, uh, what do you, where are you up to in terms of the diversity of foods that you eat, and how is that going with your wife? And you mentioned you're a father with your family and so on. Are you eating two meals or you're all eating the same thing?
0: Um, and how does food look in your family? It depends on the night. Um, we are usually eating two meals uh, just because I do have five kiddos. My oldest is 10. My youngest is, uh, yeah, five. Uh, my oldest is 10. My youngest is, will turn two at the end of March. So, uh, they're all about two years apart and, uh, it, it's a vibrant, loud household. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, a lot of my children, uh, don't have the issue my wife and I have of the weight gain just yet. They're all just growing and like, you know, bean poles, Uh, and so they're skinny and they need the extra calories. So, uh, cutting down too much on what they're eating, um, uh, seems a little problematic, but, um, also you know, randomly telling your whole family they're going vegan because you are just didn't feel quite like what I wanted to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, understand. You're bite-sized chunks, right? Bite-sized yeah. chunks. Yeah.
0: Um, one, one of the other things, though, that I, I have absolutely enjoyed is um, prior to being diagnosed, my weight just kept creeping up. And uh, part of it was the extra comfort foods. Uh, I was eating. Um, I was exercising less because I was starting to notice swelling. Um, and discomfort but also i think that um my gut just wasn't absorbing um all the nutrients i didn't have nearly enough fiber in my diet and so my body was just holding on to every calorie it was getting and i was up to 262 pounds uh last april um and yesterday i stood on the scale i was 225 and so with some fasting and with uh you know making sure i'm getting all my macros but I'm still just at a slight calorie deficit at the moment. Um, I've dropped over 37 pounds and uh, just feel fantastic. Like, I I, I can't say that enough. I, I'm so much more active than I was prior to the program, especially because I was wrongfully told by um, some of my coworkers who have similar diseases um, and my rheumatologist as well that if I was swollen, I should rest it. And, uh, that, you know, the more I move when I'm swollen, I'm at risk of damaging my joints, <laughs> but I'm just further crippling myself if I don't move as I've learned. Right. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm so much more active and, um, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah. That just makes me so happy to hear that you're sort
1: of, uh, doing the right thing and not the silly common wisdom that is shared amongst not only colleagues, but unfortunately amongst some of the medical professionals. So just just so that this doesn't appear like a Clintism, there are new lifestyle guidelines coming out from the American guidelines for rheumatology. And of the very, very highest tier of recommendations is exercise and physical therapy. So it is the highest possible recommendations amongst the collective wisdom of all the research that's been put together for rheumatologists to advise their patients that exercise is a absolute essential activity for them to engage in. So it's good to see that the research has filtered up to providing the guidelines for the rheumatologists. So, you know, just keep it up. Keep it up is what I'm saying. But again, there's no upper limit. Like the fitter and stronger you are, the less symptoms you have. It's absolutely proportional, okay? So that's all cool, so now, what about in terms of exercise? what do you do? What does that look like
0: so i, I found a uh, YouTube channel uh, guy and his significant other um, provide uh, yoga and I've done yoga through the years, but for whatever reason uh, his flow and and the way that he talks uh, about his mindset during it it just clicks with me um so i've been following him and trying to do it daily I'm I'm at best right now about 4 times a week I need to get to at least I want to do it daily you know I want to do it 7 times a week um and that's probably my main form of exercise at the moment like I said I'm a pretty active person I I can't sit still for very long so um it's the winter months here in the US uh but it's been a little warmer than normal so I've been out chopping wood um I've been doing what I can to get my garden ready for when I can start planting some stuff and wrestling with the kids, running around with my kids. Um, You know, they, they keep me very busy as well. So Mm. Uh, what do you think has been the best
1: uh, amongst all of the sort of improvements, changes, everything? What's the best thing
0: to have come out of making these lifestyle changes? Do you feel? Quantifying that might, you know, it's kind of hard. the fact that with the Patterson program and and with focusing on the gut microbiome, we are actually treating the root cause. I'm no longer just symptom managing, and as a nurse, as someone who you know has devoted my life and career to helping people, it's it's very defeating to just treat the symptoms every time someone comes in. And so, for me, the realization of how many different diseases could be. Um, Completely stopped and never experienced at all. If we just had a healthier gut microbiome across the nation or world, sorry, but um, you know. But then also, when people do run into the issue that those of us with RA have run into, or any other autoimmune disorder, knowing that we can treat the, re- treat the root cause and actually fix something that before you know, we're told when we go into the rheumatologist the first time that, "Hey, you have RA. Uh, this is going to be lifelong." We'll manage the symptoms as best we can with these different medications, but what we aren't told is, you know, you'll likely get remission here and there from a med, but then you'll have to go on a new med. Some of the side effects will kick you to another new med, and your life for the next uh, remainder of your time here is going to be difficult, and, it, and it's going to be hell at times. Um, you know, I, I feel like the, the Miranda rights that were read when we're when we're told we have an autoimmune disorder. Don't have to be the way they are. You know, it it could be there's also this choice. If you want to make the drastic diet change and you're willing to exercise and you're willing to meditate and reduce stress, then you could actually just treat the whole disease as it is. So that for me, that's the biggest thing. It's that's yeah, I love it. So it's that sense
1: of being able to help to reverse the actual um, driver of the disease. And therefore, there's a sense of empowerment. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. Okay. So um, any setbacks that have happened since uh, you've been down this journey?
0: Lessons you've learned? Uh, (laughs) My first lesson I learned was when I tried to add my second fruit uh, back to my diet. My, My first fruit was an apple and it worked fine. No problem. Uh, my my second fruit, I decided blueberries were going to be it because it had been two days since I tried anything new. And my wife had bought like three pounds of blueberries for the kids. They they'll go through three pounds in a day. So I figured I should eat, you know, my fill as well. Uh, I had about a pound of blueberries. And so my first lesson was moderation. <laughs> Maybe when we're reintroducing foods and looking for a trigger, we should, uh, you know, just have a handful at a time instead of a pound um i had a little bit of swelling and achiness day uh day two of blueberries so i have not had them since uh but i will reintroduce them uh, in the future in moderation but yeah that was probably my first lesson uh and then as far as my main setbacks uh you know i'm currently today uh more swollen or more in more pain than i've been since i started the program uh but that's because i attempted um To use a food service uh, to get what I needed for my weekend during work. Uh, For the convenience of not having to go grocery shopping and and ensuring I had what I needed um, for my weekends, uh, I went with this food service and they delivered nice vegetables, uh, wholly vegan. Uh, However, there was a decent amount of added sugar to some of the food, uh, and there were all sorts of exotic oils that I currently don't have in my diet uh, used in different preparations. And, uh, I had a meal on Friday. I, I worked night shift. So I had a meal before I went into my night shift. Uh, and then I had another meal for my lunch that night. And by the time I ate my lunch that night, I could tell I was starting to swell. Um, by the time I got off work, I was having trouble making a fist with my left hand. And so I, I knew, um, especially cause I was stretching my wrists the whole night. I was, you know, I was moving the whole night to make sure that I was giving myself a chance not to overswell. I knew that I'd consume some things I shouldn't have, and so rather than continue to eat the rest of the stuff sent to me for the weekend, I said, uh, maybe we'll just use the ingredients for the kids for dinner for, or for something uh, and I went back to my grains and salad and <laughs> a little little more safer fare for the rest of the weekend um and I've been fasting for the past uh day now to try to speed up the process of uh, getting rid of the swelling, okay, so just Literally right leading up to this, uh,
1: you know, you've had your first setback uh, since that blueberry incident. Well, the time, you know, these things are good to share, aren't they? These things are good to say, you know, this isn't just a, uh, a sore foot. This is like rheumatoid. This is hardcore. And it's reality. This is what we deal with because people listening are going to be like, I did that, too. And, you know, we're all vulnerable to this ability of having setbacks. Like I did 2017, I had this big oily burger and and oily fries and it was a a mess, right? So yes, um, a little tip for you. Given your sensitivity, and this applies to everyone's sensitivity with the oils, particularly the heated oils, what that is doing is providing a very, very high Amount of free radicals to the body because when we heat the oil, we're creating what's called advanced glycation end products, which are a type of free radical. And the more the oils are heated, the more substantial that that uh, uh, oxidative potential is. And so, the what's happening is that oil as it moves through our intestines, is stealing electrons from our epithelium, meaning that it becomes more permeable and allowing. Particles to enter our bloodstream, creating gotcha. an immune response. Okay, so one of the areas that I've found uh, in terms of a supplement uh, for this that's been very good uh, is grape seed extract, which has outperformed things like L-glutamine, turmeric for specifically lipid peroxidation, which is the oxidation of fats in our cell membranes. So it's now part of the standard program. Our materials have been updated. And whilst it may not be like a a huge impact for everyone, I think that there's enough studies uh, behind this because it's way more effective at this specifically um, than things like, as I said, L-glutamine and turmeric and so on. So anything that's an antioxidant is our friend uh, when we're vulnerable to, uh, to oxidative stress, which comes not just from the disease itself, which creates free radicals, but from oils, because it's just a sign that we're low on our antioxidant defenses. That's what that is. Uh-huh. So all the leafy greens and then anything that's a green juice, or you know, all uh, uh fruits, uh, all of these antioxidant rich foods and our turmeric and our grapeseed extract, even uh chlorella is another great source of of antioxidants. So yeah. We just got to keep that hammering.
0: That makes so much sense because with, um, with the diet, I've noticed that my best days are when I have two big salads instead of just one. Um, so, so many more antioxidants, uh, while preparing for, uh, to chat with you tonight, I was looking over some of, uh, you are like, you know, we'll chat about this. We'll chat about that. And one of the things you said is, um, you know, what, what's the most important part of your routine at the moment? You know, is it your daily juice? And I said, daily juice. And I looked back and I said, oh, crap, I haven't made my green juice since day four of the program. And like that's going to be added back in because that's so many antioxidants that I don't have you know, on a daily basis that I've been missing. Um, so the possible healing that I could be doing, I, I'm missing out on that. So I'm definitely going to add that back in. And then, uh, yeah, so the, the leafy greens, like I said, when I have more of them, I, I feel so much better. And then I'll definitely be adding back in the green juice because I haven't done that yet. And I I did go out and purchase an air fryer. Uh, I hadn't had one prior to this, but being able to you know cook things and 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 do so in a way where they come out the way I want them to and without using any oil uh, has been invaluable. You know, it's it, previously roasting in the oven it was very lackluster without um, without oil, but well, the air fryer seems to do it quite well. Yeah, and the kids love it. If you yeah. fill that air fryer
1: with potatoes and sweet potatoes and we put a herb a little herb mix over the top of it so you've got sort of like like uh different salty flavors over the top the kids just go bonkers for that and um if you can tolerate potatoes where if you can't yet you will um then that is just feels like a family celebration <laughs>
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Mean, you eat a lot of sweet potatoes a lot of uh a lot of golden potatoes as well yeah
1: yeah awesome um, What's your goal? Like, let's say, you know, here we are, you know, February 2024. Where are you going to take this, Nicholas? What are you determined to achieve with your health over the next six to 12 months?
0: Sure. Um, So my rheumatologist uh, is cautiously optimistic about um, my success so far. Uh, she said, you know, any, any time people can manage with less medicine, she's fine with that. She doesn't seem to completely buy into uh leaky gut and its connection. Um, what? And I know, right. Are you and, kidding me? Even with a perfect case sample in front of her. My, my sed rate was, uh, what was it? 64, um, last, uh, April and, uh, just 20 days after being on the Patterson program, my sed rate was less than one. <laughs> so obvi- obviously something's working right and, and it wasn't the methotrexate which you needed to add a medicine to previously so but anyway um she she said she's willing to help me taper uh and you know give me a taper for it in a year um so my my goal um is to get to an ideal disease state where hopefully I've gotten myself into basically remission and start tapering in six months. If I need to find a new doctor, I will, um, because I, I don't think I need to wait a year. If all of my labs and my daily experience are telling me that I don't, obviously, if I have any indication that waiting a year is necessary, I will. Um, I'm a medical professional. I'm pretty good at listening to the doctors, but uh, at the same time, I, I don't want to waste another year taking methotrexate and feeling, you know, extra exhausted at times when I don't need to, um, and, and such. So, awesome. All right, let me chat a little bit about coming off methotrexate
1: and also what you can do to become bulletproof so that you can start tapering methotrexate would that be of interest Absolutely. Yeah. so uh coming off methotrexate and of course there's a video training on this inside members area for anyone who is currently a member so um what we want to do is understand that as we start to peel back that inflammation management that is happening from the methotrexate it reveals underneath more of the true state of disease activity. And so we want to do it incrementally. It's like uh, uh, maybe take out um, 2.5 milligram per week, one tablet, for example, uh, or um, sometimes five milligram per week. If you're at 25, maybe drop to 20, for example. And of course, this is all to be done in discussions with your rheumatologist, but this is just like generic speaking. And then we monitor for a couple of months and say, well, how do we respond at that level? And then if everything's fine, especially the C-reactive protein and SED rate, physical examination, joints feel good, patients happy. Okay, well, let's try again. And you go down and you repeat this process. So you take a step. Check in for a few months. Everything good. Do it again and again. So that's the process that we began with my rheumatologist. It was going great until I actually forgot the drug, left it in the states, flew back to Australia, realized two weeks later I haven't taken this thing. By the time I got it, this is going back eleven years. By the time it arrived in the mail, eleven years ago from the U.S. to here, took fourteen days or something, and it had been a month since I'd taken the drug, and I'm like, I feel actually better than ever. And so at that point, just in my unique circumstances, I didn't take it anymore. Uh, So. In terms of how to get to that point, we want to add more foods into the diet and be eating lots and lots of diversity and feel really, really good in the mornings when we're waking up. So we're not experiencing much, if any, morning stiffness. Um, And we want a state of feeling like we've got a great amount of confidence and control. And when we have that, we're ready mentally. And with the tools and skill set in our in our in our in our sort of um, at our in our repertoire, so that if we do begin the tapering process and some symptoms start to come back, we're like, no problem, that's fine. I know what to do. And then you bang, you get rid of them. So it really comes down to a making sure you got lots and lots of diversity, so that your microbiome has a diverse amount of cultures. B, that you're hitting all the key uh, key strains of different types of fiber. That's things like glutes. Uh, sorry, that's things like oats to provide beta-glucans. That's things like uh, the fermented foods to provide, uh, you know, additional short-chain fatty acids from a dietary point of view. It's things like bananas for resistant starch and things like potatoes, which you're already eating. It's lots of leafy greens and fruits for the antioxidants. And combined with all this, you're like my gut is now sh- robust. Uh huh. And then from that point of view, combined with the fittest Nicholas you can become, so not just the yoga, but you also might want to do some strength training as well. Right. Um, and maybe once a week, you might just want to burn yourself to the to the core with thirty minutes on a stationary bike or something.
0: Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, and that's that's what my chopping wood has been. fantastic uh, there's a netflix documentary uh called um the game changers i don't know if you've seen it it's about the plant diet and athletes yeah um and and it's absolutely phenomenal at talking about you know why a plant-based diet is actually optimal compared to an omnivore diet um and and i I feel like they're even overly kind to what the uh western diet actually looks like and how it operates in your body but anyway um in that documentary, they talked about the endurance that uh, our muscles are given from a plant-based diet. Uh, and so previously, chopping wood, I, I half an hour would absolutely gas me, right? Uh, so last week, I was out there chopping wood, and it was a nice day. It was about 40 degrees in the middle of January. So I said, of course, I'm going to sit here and have some fun. Um, and I was out there for two and a half hours. <laughs> and, I, and I was I wrecked. Was My body was very tired at the end of it. But during it, I felt fine. And and I've never chopped wood for more than an hour. And I two and a half hours here, I am just chopping away. I've got a 10-foot-tall pile of wood out there. <laughs> so, yeah, it, at least once a week, I'm, I'm definitely working myself to where, you know, it's almost bedtime when I'm done. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. You got this. If
1: you can do that and you keep up your yogas during the week and you would only – if you're doing something like that once a week and maybe two or three yogas a week – and not even having to exercise on the off days. You don't have to exercise every day. If, you, right. if, if your capability is maintained at what you've just described, you don't have to exercise every day. It's overkill. Um, and do everything I said. Man, like, I'd, you know, if I was a betting person, I'd, I'd put money on your ability to achieve your goals.
0: Awesome. Yeah.
1: Awesome. yeah totally. That's, that's totally.
0: That's really cool.
1: Totally. There's nothing in your way. Yeah. You've got you've got no, you know, the things that get in the way uh for some people are a dysfunctional living environment where they're living perhaps with an ex-wife or husband and there's friction, or they've got a tremendously unsupportive work environment where um, you know, the culture is drinking and and bad foods all the time, and, and there's this social pressures or um you know and this is fascinating and maybe what i want to ask you like next as we come close to wrapping this up but some people it's the work shifts like you're on that mean that they can't access the amount of quality sleep uh that they need to help rest- help restore uh health so what i was going to ask you this anyway but how you how do you manage that because you mentioned friday saturday sunday uh, do you only work those three days during the
0: week? So because they're twelve-hour shifts, yeah, thirty-six hours a week is all I'm contracted for. Um, however, I usually try to pick up one shift if it's available, uh, just to try to float some extra savings. Uh, so it's usually about forty-eight hours a week, um, and in between shifts, I usually get about six six hours of sleep, which is an honest blessing. Uh, previously, in my um, in my time as a night shift worker, which I've been working night shifts since I was 22, I'm now 38. Four hours, four and a half hours was probably my average. And so getting six is fantastic. I I I honestly feel like uh I can function at four. Um but at six I can probably conquer the world, you know? So uh I'm I feel like I'm getting great sleep in between my shifts. I haven't had any coffee since starting the program. And the only um caffeine I get is a little bit and some tea and Just from the plant-based diet itself, the exercise, uh, being in better shape and uh less caffeine, I I think my sleep's really improved uh tremendously. And so uh, on my off nights, I usually average about seven to eight hours. Um and yeah, I I feel better rested and surprising, well, surprisingly to me, but it shouldn't be. Um I'm able to make it through my shifts with little to no lag. Um on a regular basis, my coworkers were all going and taking a nap for their 30-minute lunch. Or, um, you know, they're, they're talking about how they're just so exhausted and they've hit the wall and that's how I used to feel as well. But I, I get through my shifts and I get home and I'm ready for bed, but I'm not like falling asleep at the stoplight on my way home. Like a lot of us are at times. Um, so yeah, as far as sleep goes, I I feel like I'm in a much better place today than I was, uh, three months ago. So awesome.
1: Nicholas, I, I uh, am super, super excited for your future, Matt. This is just about as good as it gets. You're on a drug that doesn't cause a setback to your microbiome. Methotrexate, the studies are limited, but supportive, right? There's certainly nothing in the literature that says it worsens the gut. Nothing, not one study, okay? It can hurt the liver, but not <laughs> the gut, okay? So, um, so from that point of view, fantastic physically active supportive home environment getting enough sleep optimistic educated doing the right things with your diet you know there's an, and a, and a and a rheumatologist or an alternative rheumatologist that can support you with a sensible taper plan if you hit that point and um you know it's all good it's all good my friend yep
0: yeah uh, speaking about educated so Um, I've been reading a whole bunch, uh, anything I can really put my hands on that has, uh, quality information in it. Um, have you read the, the gut, gut mind connection or the mind gut connection? I'm aware of what that is. And I've read studies about it, but I haven't read a
1: book on it. I've read the source, which is the medical publications around this topic.
0: Yeah. Um, so the doctor who wrote, uh, the gut mind connection, um, and it might be back. It might be mind gut connection. Anyway, sorry. Um, he he did this research going all the way back to the late eighties, early nineties, um, and he started producing work to show that our microbiome in our diet in the West was so incredibly um, dwarfed compared to the gut microbiome of somebody who was living, you know, in the Amazon rainforest or or down in Africa, and uh, I think it was Tanzania. And he talked about how. Human development has changed, you know, and so things like ADD and stuff like that can actually be because of a uh, stunted microbiome. Um, he talked about how you know autoimmune disorders, including uh, high blood pressure and cardiac disease, which can actually very easily be linked to an autoimmune autoimmune disorder, and then depression, anxiety, etc. Were also heavily uh, afflicted. But the the beauty of the book that he talks about is just. He hits and hits and hits on the diversity that's needed in our diet, right? And how the more things that we eat and the more uh, the more from, from the earth, from outside that we eat, the, the better our gut microbiome is. And so, I, I really encourage anyone to read that book because he does a fantastic job of just laying it out, uh, not always in the most plain English. He is a doctor and he does use uh, the specific uh, bacteria names when he's talking about what you need in your gut. But he does a good job of making it accessible, I feel like. Uh, And then along with that, I I read a book recently called Eating to Extinction, and it has far less to do with our gut microbiome, but far more to do with our actual agricultural system in the world and our food production system in the world and how the diversity of what we are growing and therefore the diversity of what we are eating has shrunk by 80% over the past uh, 75 years. And how, you know, bananas, for example, there's really only two strains that are grown on a massive scale around the world and how both of those strains are under attack at the moment by rot and by bacteria. And we could lose our bananas because of this. Right. Uh, So he talks about food security and and how important that is. But he also touches very uh, gently on when we have these different things in our diet and and we are more diverse in our grains, more diverse in our uh, apples, etc., our gut microbiome flourishes. And uh, the way he talks in that short snippet is is just brought me right back to the mind-gut connection and how important these things and how intertwined they are. So uh, two really good reads. Um, and yeah, I, I encourage anybody to read those two. And then uh, this whole journey for myself and, and really feeling like I was hit over the head with some uh, astounding knowledge that everyone should know when I learned about leaky gut. I'm, I'm a NICU nurse, uh, and so I work with neonatal um, babies who are, you know, preterm or, or born with some uh, issues at birth, and one of our biggest issues with babies that are born less than 32 weeks uh, is called NEC, N-E-C, and uh, it's a gastro um, disease that the gut swells up and it becomes permeable. And a lot of these kids end up with terrible infections and sepsis. And so it's a continued issue. It's gotten better over the years. But our first line with children uh, is to give them uh, donor breast milk if mom does not have breast milk. Well, the donor breast milk is pasteurized. So instead of giving this great culture of bacteria, we're just giving them breast milk that is breast milk. There's nothing beneficial to a pasteurized breast milk. Um, and if we don't have donor breast milk, then we give them a uh, bovine based formula yeah. and watching these poor little babies' belly swell up, uh, really clued me in very quickly to how connected their little tiny intestinal tract is compared to ours. It's so much more permeable at this stage.
1: Well, very exciting, thanks, Nicholas. I've thoroughly enjoyed having our conversation, and uh it's really cool to hear about these these developments that you've got going on professionally um obviously the the personal stuff is phenomenal to come off you know maximum dose of meloxicam fifteen milligram a day and ten milligram of steroids, all of that within fifteen days right yeah, yeah. that's phenomenal absolutely, yeah, and so now. The future looks bright. You're doing everything right. Congratulations and thanks for sharing.
0: Thank you, man. Had a blast. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit
1: rheumatoidsolutions.com.